Second World War and the outbreak of the Sino-Japanese War, there were 11,000 Jews resident in China and Manchuria. But by the end of the Second World War, the number had risen to 32,000 because the Japanese expelled all Jews from Manchuria, Korea, and Japan and centered them all in Shanghai. And when the recreation of the Jewish state came in 1948, almost 20,000 of these Jews came here to the land. And lo, these from the land of the Chinese. Oh, you say, you, you, you are really fanciful. I mean, can you get that out of that little phrase in Isaiah 49? Well, come up with a better interpretation. What is it? Is it a useless little bit of something? Or was it some scribe who, falling asleep on a hot Israeli afternoon, let his hand slip? <laughs> and somehow the land of Sinim got into the text? If God went to such bother to inspire by his spirit, prophets, holy men of old. Has he not gone to just the same bother to watch over the way that that word has come down to us? Does he give the word and then throw it out to the error and failings of men? Surely not. Now what I'm trying to say by using this one thing is here we have a significance of Israel that must be universal to the whole people of God. The significance of Israel is that God's word is true. And if God is so accurate in the way he predicts things and fulfills things, what about these other marvelous words? Such as, He that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank God. My grace is sufficient for thee. If God has been so careful about such a word as the land of sin on a physical, literal level, what about these other marvelous words about conforming you to the image of his Son, of bringing you to complete maturity in his Son, of bringing you to the place where you can reign with Christ? What a comfort. When all kinds of things assail us, when we have all kinds of problems, to turn back and say, thank God for Israel, thank God for Israel. I see that the truth of the Lord endures forever. I see that it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in men. It is better to put your trust in the Lord than in princes. That is the best of men. The second matter that constitutes the significance of Israel is that God is the God of all history, sovereignly working according to the counsel of his own will. Do not think that history is a hopeless jumble, that it is a tangle, a massed tangle, that is impossible somehow to unravel. It may appear to you to be like that, but in fact, the history of the nations is going exactly according to plan. And God is working out the plan step by step, stage by stage. And Israel is the uh, time clock of God in that fulfillment of his plan. 
Israel is, as it were, the evidence that God is the God of history. You know, we Christians have got sometimes so spiritual that we forget that we have a body. You know, I hear people saying, oh, it doesn't matter when you die, you can do anything with the body, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. What matters is the spirit and the soul, it's gone to the presence of God. We who have Jewish background have a deep, deep instinct about the body. That's why Jews never burn bodies. It is this inherent instinct that there is something very precious about even the dust of your body. And that one day there will be a redemption of the body. For what you sow is not what will grow up. You sow a corruptible body, but you will weep an incorruptible. How marvelous. Now this whole matter of getting so spiritual is a kind of the Greek background of Christians, if you understand what I mean. Nothing wrong in it. Because when the gospel went out from its Hebrew roots, it began to bring in all the Greek and Hellenic uh, uh, ideas and so on, which was all right. But sometimes Christians have gone so far in this Gentile idea that they forget the words of Job, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And I will stand upon this earth and mine eyes shall see him and not another. What a wonderful hope. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and God is working everything according to a plan. And God has not just given up the nations. We know from the book of Daniel that there are great spiritual principalities behind nations. We read, for instance, that when Daniel was in his great ministry of intercession, the answer from the Lord being carried to him by an angel was delayed because of a fight between two great principalities, the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia. Now all this sounds like a fairy tale almost. We think, prince of Greece and prince of Persia. These are, not, these are not human beings. These are spirits. But evidently the whole development of these empires was somehow related to these spiritual beings behind them. What a window into the unseen this gives us. And what a challenge to real intercession. If it is really true that all that happens in the nations is actually a reflection of what goes on behind the scenes in the invisible, in the spiritual world, how much more should the church of God take its position in the heavenlies to reign with Christ now? God is the God of all history. He determines the course of nations. Don't, don't for one moment give to the enemy a single, great, uh, any greater luster than he should have. When God says Babylon's days are over, Babylon's days are over. And I've often thought when that Hebrew prophet, that Jewish prophet stood up in the great feast of Belshazzar and said to Belshazzar, your kingdom is going to be taken away from you this night. How could he have said such a thing? I imagine there was almost ribald laughter in the drunken courtiers around the king. What stupid fool is this man? The Babylonian Empire has lasted for 800 years and he says that this night it's going to give up the great Babylonian Empire with its 
great capital of Babylon, its hanging gardens, its zoological gardens, its banking houses, its canals, its avenues and boulevards, its great national buildings. That night, the Persian forces dammed up one of the canals and they came through a gate, a canal gate, in the great city walls. There were three of them. And once they were inside the city, Babylon disappeared from history as if she had never been. When God says the time of an empire, of a kingdom, of a nation, of a political system, of an ideology is up, it's over! God has a time for Marxism. Don't think it's eternal. God has a time for Marxism. And when that day has dawned and the last minute has struck, God will say, finish with it. And in that moment, it will disappear. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. Systems come, systems go. Demonized men come and demonized men go. But God is forever. So the fact of the matter is this, this little nation of Israel is the evidence that God is the God of history. Because years and years ago, to be precise, 2,600 years or so ago, God took a Hebrew prophet, a Jewish statesman, who in faithfulness to God, in spite, as it were, of all his uncompromising purity toward God, rose to the highest position in the greatest empire of his day. And God gave him vision after vision after vision after vision. And these visions were all to do with what we call the times of the Gentiles or the times of the nations. And we have been in these times. They're ending now. Because Jesus said, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So if 67, June 67, was in fact the ending or the beginning of the end of the times of the Gentiles, dear friends, we're in the times of the Messiah. Already we can hear his footsteps. Already his shadow is flung across us. Blessed be God. So, if we look at it like this, we begin to see something. Daniel chapter 7 puts it very, very wonderfully. When he saw all those great kingdoms, now I have to watch the time, we've got not too much more time. But in Daniel and chapter 7, and verse 13 and 14, listen to these words. I saw in the night visions, and behold, there came with the clouds of heaven one like unto a son of men, and he came even to the ancient of days. And they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And then listen. If you read on in verse 17, these great beasts which are four are four kings that shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Praise God. 
How many years elapsed between that and now? What were the four kings? Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and now our own so-called democratic society, modern civilization. It's all included within this great vision of the four kings. Oh, what a lot of time has gone. How many of the saints have thought perhaps the end is in our day. Maybe we shall see the Messiah coming, but he has not come. But blessed be God, there will come a day when the Father will say to the Son, on your way. And in that moment, a stone will come out of the heavens and will take that great colossus and hit it and the whole thing will shatter. And little Israel is the time clock. No wonder we should pray for her. No wonder we should be involved with her. No wonder we should not only look at her as some prophetic comfort to us, some means of encouraging us, but we should be involved with her. She is flesh and blood. She has suffered anguish and sorrow such as only the true church of God has known through the years of human history. If there are any people who should feel deep calling unto deep, it should be the true church of God for the Israel of God. God is sovereignly working out his purpose. Let those who say that Israel is a political accident say it. Let those that say that there is no future for the Jewish people say it if they wish. For me, I can only say that not only is Israel not a political accident, she is divinely ordained. There is a fulfillment of the word, I will lead the blind by a way that they know not. In paths that they have not known will I lead them. I will make darkness light before them and the crooked places straight. These things will I do and I will not forsake them. Israel is blind. She is largely agnostic. It is true. But don't be confused. God is behind her. This little nation has been drawn back in unbelief by God, back in their blindness by God. God is behind it. And underlying the whole history of the Jewish people is the finished work of their Messiah, Jesus. They do not know it. But with God, it speaks forever. And on the basis of that finished work, God deals with the Jewish people in spite of their sin, in spite of their failing, in spite of their blindness, in spite of their rejection. He deals with them. They do not know it. But he is working. Oh, what a wonderful word that Jewish statesman Daniel said to the great Nebuchadnezzar. 
Till you shall know, he said, that the Most High rules in the affairs of men and gives it to whomsoever he will. What courage the man had to say it to the great Nebuchadnezzar, who with one look could have had Daniel decapitated or burnt to a cinder. But Nebuchadnezzar, he heard it. Daniel went on with Nebuchadnezzar to give him an even greater understanding of this matter. He said, he takes down people from high places and he puts up people who are nothing into them. God is sovereign. Mr. Brezhnev is in the Kremlin because God has put him there. Mao came and Mao is gone. Dung has come and dung will go. They all come and they all go. But God is working according to a plan. So don't fear. That is the second great significance of Israel. I wish I could say a good deal more about it. Here is the third. He is using Israel to sanctify himself in the eyes of the nations. Now get this clear, because all of us immediately think, as soon as we hear the word sanctify, we think, oh, oh, he's going to save all the nations. No, he said, I will sanctify myself in the eyes of all the nations. What does sanctify mean? I will separate myself. You will know that there's more than flesh and blood to human history. This little nation you come against and you say, we will destroy it. We will use every modern weapon to liquidate this people. You will find it in coming against it. You are destroyed. And then you will reel back and your mind will try to find some reason, some logical reason as to why you have failed. And you will come back again, but you will fall again until in the end you will have to say there is something more to Israel than flesh, than flesh and blood. Listen. I'll just read you with the New American Standard Version. It tends to be a little clearer on this matter in its translation. Ezekiel 38 and verse 16. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will come about in the last days that I shall bring you against my land in order that the nations may know me when I shall be sanctified through you before their eyes, O God. How is God going to be sanctified through you? Through Gog? No, it means that God will take these anti-God forces because Gog and Magog in Hebrew is a term for all anti-God forces. God will take these anti-God forces and he will show them that he is God. They don't believe in a God, but God will show there's more to this little nation than you think. It's not just weapons. It's not just weaponry. It's not just morale. It's not just the number in the army. There's something else in it. Listen again. Ezekiel 38 and verse 23. And I shall magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. This is the description of a horrific battle. But God says, I will make myself, no, I will magnify myself. They will know that I am the Lord. Listen, chapter 39, the same prophecy. Verse 21 to 23. 
and I shall set my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see my judgment which I have executed and my hand which I have laid on them, that's Gog and Magog. And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God from that day onward. And the nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile for their iniquity because they acted treacherously against me and I hid my face from them. So I gave them into the hand of their adversaries and all of them fell by the sword according to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions I dealt with them and I hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I shall restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel and I shall be jealous for my holy name and they shall forget their disgrace and all their treachery which they perpetrated against me when they lived securely on their own land with no one to make them afraid. When I bring them back from the people and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of the many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God because I made them go into exile among the nations and then gathered them again to their own land and I will leave none of them there any longer and I will not hide my face from them any longer for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel declares the Lord God do you see the significance of Israel you see what God is doing is he's manifesting himself through an unbelieving blind and sinful nation and the whole earth is coming against them. They don't even know why they're coming against them. But they're coming against them because God is drawing them down with hook through the jaw against them. He's gathering them against Jerusalem. And then when they think they will destroy this little land, God will act and they will reel back. God never judges nations without giving evidence, without warning them. Israel is the final great warning of God in the last days to the nations because God said I will send them into exile and they went into exile and God said I will gather them again and he gathered them again and God said I will defend them and he has defended them oh dear people of God how wonderful this whole matter is the significance of Israel we suffer in this matter with those who go overboard on Israel they become so Israel-conscious and so Israel-centered that one almost wonders whether Israel died for them and Israel saved them. As if they've been born again through Israel. The subject has suffered tremendously from people who've gone overboard on the whole matter. But dear people of God, what a terrible thing it is when we don't understand the significance of Israel. The last thing I want to say this evening is this about the significance of Israel, the fourth thing is that here we have the truth finally given concerning the Messiah. I don't know whether I'm right on this, but my own understanding of the prophetic word has led me to the conclusion that the Jewish people will not repent only on the day when they see Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven. I understand from the prophet Zechariah that the spirit of grace and supplication will be poured upon them. And in the Hebrew it says, they will look unto me whom they pierce. Not on me physically, but unto me, which has a feeling of spiritual recognition. And they shall be in mourning for him as for an only son, and in bitterness for him as for a firstborn. And then it says, and the morning in that day shall be greater than it was in the valley of Hadad Rimon. That was the great 
national mourning over the godly King Josiah when he died. And then it goes to say something very strange. It says, and all the families of the houses of Israel will mourn, each family apart, husbands and wives apart. Now, for those who believe that Israel is all going to be converted in one single moment of time, this must surely constitute a problem. Because if you know Jewish mourning habits, you know that there are seven days of total abnormality in mourning. You can't shave. Husband and wife mustn't sleep together. The whole house is turned upside down. It's called the Shiva. The seven days. And then for 30 days, life is pretty abnormal. Now that's what it means here. It's as if suddenly, due to the Spirit of God being poured out upon the Jewish people, upon Israel, something happens. Not every Jew will automatically be saved, but there will be those who will turn unto him, to look unto him, and they will recognize in someone in their history 2,000 years ago what was done to him and with him is the key to our fall, to our restoration, and to our destiny. Dear people of God, I can't think of anything more wonderful than that day. I really cannot. I imagine it to be a day that will probably be quite ordinary and seemingly routine when God starts. I don't think myself that it will be sensational and dramatic to begin with, but something will happen. I said to you, I think last year or the year before, forgive me, that um, when the great Gentile mission of the Jewish church began, in a Roman naval city called Caesarea, in some flea-bitten apartment of a Roman officer, I cannot possibly believe that anyone realized where it would end, least of all dear Peter. Because why later did he have to defend himself and say, well, you know, almost apologetic, you know, I mean, what was I to do? I mean, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. I mean, I, I couldn't stop them. I had to baptize them. <laughs> if the Apostle Peter had realized that this was the great Gentile mission of the church in which millions and millions and millions of Gentiles would be made, made partakers of the commonwealth of Israel, surely he would have said, dear friends, let me say this quite clearly. God gave me that word, and I must defend it. Because this is the beginning of the great Gentile mission of the church. He apparently did, wasn't oversure about it. It wasn't in the great sports arena, or the great uh, Colosseum, that he packed it out in an evangelistic campaign and preached to the Gentiles a Jewish gospel, and they believed. And then he had the problem of what to do with them. It was in a Gentile Roman officer who was a God-fearing man. In his apartment, in his home, before evidently a whole number of friends who were like-minded, that the Apostle Peter began to preach a Jewish gospel in a Jewish context about a Jewish Messiah who had been crucified, buried, and raised by God on the third day, 
and had ascended to the majesty, to the right hand of the majesty on high, where he was waiting till he came back. Almost unwittingly, the key turned in the lock and the door to the Gentiles swung open and all of you are the result. One day, somewhere, sometime, probably not very dramatic, not very sensational, someone will be speaking. Perhaps it will be in a home, I don't know, or somewhere. And unwittingly, the key will turn in the door. And the door will open to the Jewish people again. And they will be received. Then this blindness that David and Lisa spoke about on the Jewish heart will suddenly, this veil, will suddenly be taken away with the most startling results. People will see, suddenly, like people waking up out of a dream. They will say, what is it? What is it? We see. And in that moment of recognition, it will be like a sword piercing through the heart, not of condemnation, but godly sorrow that worketh repentance unto salvation. In that day, there will be a fountain open for uncleanness and multitudes of Jewish people will wash themselves in the blood of the Lamb. This is the significance of Israel. God will put the last bit of evidence before the nations. He will say, this Jesus is both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, King of the Jews, has become King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Dear friends, if that is the significance of Israel, are you not thankful that God gives you a bit of light? A bit of light? that somehow you begin, even with our dim understanding, we understand something of this. Thank God for it. Thank God for it. May he stir us up to be involved in this matter, not in a way that is strange or weird or unbalanced, but in a way that is realistic, genuine, right down to earth, as it were, May God help us. It will be the most wonderful day for us all, will it not? If we with the eye of faith have seen that this is going to come to pass and we have given ourselves in prayer and in many other ways to it, if by the grace of God we shall live to see it. Oh, what joy. What joy. <laughs>